Believe it or not, February has begun. Yes, the Super Bowl is on Sunday. I don't even know who's playing. That's how much I care about it. Am I? Am I? Yes, of course. You ever gotten wings from the corner pocket? No. No. If he makes them, I'm bringing Brian up there and I might bring My wife makes great wings. My, uh, How many plates do you make store? Do you guys know do you guys know uh do you guys know Ashley Kibberger? Yeah. I've heard of her. She, she can eat a buffalo wing in one bite. It's amazing. I told her, I said, I told her, because she showed this to me. We were all at beat ups or something. And and my sister, my sister was like, Ashley, Ashley, you have to show him. You have to show him how you can just, just debone the chicken in one. And, and she's like, ugh. And she showed it to me, and I went, there's no way. I, I said, Ashley, how come, like, I said, I said, if you ever just want to to have a man, you just need to just do that. Just in, just walk up to him and be like, I want to tell you something. Whoop, done. He will marry you. So you just need to know that. I said, I would propose to you right now, but I'm already married. I mean, that's, that, that's, that's, that's impressive for a girl, but I can also do that. It's a yeah, but she's female. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like you know, a guy you wouldn't even think really twice. He'd be like, yeah, of course. No, it's just you know. That guy's been eating wings since the womb. Well, she's a female. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. So if you, if anybody ever wants to fall in love with Ashley Kibberger, I can set that up. We can do it via Skype. <laughs> she's She's in Mexico City. So yeah. You would also have to consent to go live in Mexico City at least for a while. Because she's not leaving anytime soon, I guarantee it. Anyway. No, she's not. I've gone down there and spent a week with her twice now in Mexico. Okay. Let's pray and we'll jump in. Since we got all the way through Romans 5 verse 1 last week. Not my fault, by the way. It's entirely your fault. <laughs> Let's pray. Oh. We just welcome you, Holy Spirit. Um, breath of God, bring bring life. Awaken our hearts to sensitivity. Or as we uh, attempt to plumb some of the depths of this incredibly deep chapter, Lord, I pray for spirit of wisdom and revelation, that we would see more than I'm able to say, that we would that we would be encountered by more than human words can express. Or that something supernatural would take place in this room. That, that uh, this would be a moment where you, Holy Spirit, 
speak much louder than I do, that you would override and that you would fill in and that you would bring understanding, bring correction. Lord, anything that I say that is that is off, even by just one degree, I pray that it wouldn't be heard, but that your glory would be made manifest in the hearts of uh, the men and women in this room, that, that we would be touched by the light of the glory of Jesus Christ, that we would see it, that we would savor it, that we would enjoy it, that we would, that we would receive it deeply, that we would be that deep, good, soft soil that Jesus talked about, that receives the word of God deeply, and that fruit comes up from it quickly and, and, and in abundance. Father, you know I am not interested in, in an exchange of information. I ask for truths that do surgery on us. You, you told us that your word is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword and is able to penetrate between and know the difference between soul and spirit to go between bone and marrow. Lord, I ask... Set your word loose by the power of the Holy Spirit in this room. Holy Spirit, wield the sword, your sword, the sword of the Spirit. I pray for no more phone calls. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> Sorry about that. It's great that my computer can get calls from my phone, but at the same time, it's really annoying. The worst is when your iPad can get phone calls. My iPad can and, get phone calls. Um, you're using your iPad to like do a set for worship, and you get a phone call and you won't worship. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you get. You need to. Uh, you know, I I use my iPad for. Uh, To play pads for worship, and so it's you know it would just be in this place where you know just like it's just quiet and there's just this pad playing. I might just be you know a little tinkling around on my guitar a little bit, and all of a sudden you hear like you know, gadink, <laughs> really loud through the speakers. It's like ah. <laughs> so yeah, you got to be careful with that. You gotta turn on the do not disturb or whatever and uh yeah, be careful with that. So. <laughs> we started doing I started doing that this summer or the end of the summer because buddy of mine we were doing Revive Indiana in Steuben County. It was awesome. And I was on the the worship team pretty much all the time. Um, I'm the worship coordinator for Revive Student. So um, we were, and so that means I was leading worship pretty much every day for that week and sometimes a couple times a day uh, alongside Jeff, who was the primary worship leader for Revive Indiana, still is. And, uh, and he had his computer all set up and he would do these, just these amazing, gorgeous 
pads through Ableton on his computer. It's just like would add so much to the worship set. And I was like, all right, I need to know how to do that. And he goes, well, I mean, I'm using this big expensive program called Ableton. And I was like, I know about it. He goes, but I'm just using it to play a sound file that I bought off the internet. <laughs> I was like, you jerk. You got to look all cool. Like I'm going to put together these brilliant pets. And I was like, no, he just bought it from somebody. So he told me where I could get it. And so now I use them too. And it's funny because like if I'm leading worship and it's just me and I have my iPad up there and it's all plugged in, most of the time people can't see that my iPad's plugged in. And so they're, I'm playing and people are like, where is that sound coming from? Like, when you just open your mouth and like what is that? You know, there's this, there's just my guitar, but there's also this this atmospheric, glorious sound, and they're just like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I don't use pedal. Oh, I use I use a tuning pedal, but that's it. That's the only one that I use. Are you, are you sure you're a guitar? <laughs> I only play an acoustic and every pedal I've ever heard for acoustic guitar it just it just takes all the glory out of that beautiful acoustic sound. If I was playing electric, heck yeah, I'd have a million pedals. But, but I totally would. Yeah, I mean I went to I went to a Radiohead show once and I walked over to look at what Johnny Greenwood, he's the primary electric guitar player. And he's got, I mean, there was 5,000 pedals in front of him. It was insane. I was just like, how do you even do that? I'm, I'm going to see, I'm going to see you 2 this summer. Oh, he has like a switchboard up front with like six feet long. He's actually got a pretty solid worship set. Because, you know, you like the same thing. Oh yeah. Well, that's be well, you 2 did it first and then we're all the worship leaders decided to take it. Um, but, like, some wor- some U2 songs are worship songs. I mean, they really are. In fact, I heard a band at the Indiana District Council one time do Where the Streets Have No Name in the middle of a set. I'm not kidding. He's like, <laughs> he was singing I Am Free, which is the same chord progression as Where the Streets Have No Name. And he's playing and all of a sudden he goes, I want to run and I want to And I went. <laughs> and I'm looking around and it was so funny because his whole worship team including there were a couple of older people on his worship team and they're just like I want to I just like worshiping like really hardcore and I'm just I'm looking around for the other people who know what song this is like there's got to be somebody in here that knows that this really isn't this is not a worship song the worst one ever though was Derek Laux he's a worship leader from the house of prayer he's with the Lord now unfortunately but he uh just incredible worship leader. And we were in the midst of a worship set. He was here in Fort Wayne doing a worship conference for the House of Prayer in Fort Wayne. Awesome, just powerful worship set going on. I was like in the third heaven, just like, yes, Lord. And we get to this place and all of a sudden he goes, I want to know what love is. And I went, (laughs) (laughs) no. (laughs) <laughs> like just just no. fell out of the third of ah! <laughs> crashed on the earth. What 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 what? And then the next the next day 
he did the Coldplay song The Scientist in the middle of worship and I was just like what? he's like come up to meet you tell you I'm sorry and I'm like I'm like Derek stop it it's it's oh, I couldn't it's kind of cool though I mean the words fit okay just like the words the words where the streets have no name really is a cry for like something other so I mean it is a worship song and that it helps that like most of the members of U2 are actually like passionate followers of Jesus, even though they're a little bit crazy. What? Oh yeah, that album cover. I don't know. I don't know what this. They're so far from being. They're not anything. Like no, I know. They they always have these edgy, weird things that I'm like, really? But then, if you've ever read or heard Bono talk about Jesus, it'll make you cry. Like, he usually cusses through the whole thing, but he he's for real, like, you know? I know, I know. I love the Irish. I was trying to talk to somebody about this once because, you know, and he was, they were, they were like, they were like, how can they say they're Christians and use that language? And I said, where in the Bible does it say there are specific magic words that we're not supposed to use? So the reason Christians don't cuss is because it's rude in our culture to use those words. But those words by themselves are not sinful. Does that make sense? You know, and I said, we, we don't cuss because it's not, it's not polite. It's not, you know, it's, it's, it's considered wrong but that doesn't mean those words by themselves in and of themselves are evil and yeah I, this guy did not I, I he know, did not take that on I know at all other cultures he was just part like, of their everyday language right they don't think about well it. he did not take that on at all he was just like <gasps> like i like i told you know like i was cussing at him which i wasn't i kind of wanted to but i you know and whenever I see a religious spirit kind of pop up, I just want to punch it in the eye. And usually I do that by being just a little edgy. <laughs> but Jesus did that. Jesus did that. See, I, I feel like I am. I feel like I'm. I'm justified in wanting to do that because Jesus did it. Like Jesus was like on the Sabbath. Jesus looks over. He's, he's, there's this guy at the pool of Bethsaida, that guy, okay? And he's standing there, and he walks over to the guy, and he says, do you want to be well? And he says, yes, but there's nobody to help me in the pool. And Jesus says, okay. And, and he's about to heal the guy when he looks across the way, and he sees Pharisees, who he knows are going to be ticked off if this guy does any work at all. They're already mad at Jesus for healing on the Sabbath, but he so destroyed them and scorched the ground last time they said to him, how dare you heal on the Sabbath, that they're not going to mess with them about that. So he wants to push on their religious spirit a little more. So he looks at the guy and says, pick up your mat and go home. Now, he did not have to say that to the guy. And I can imagine there was this little smirk on Jesus' face. Like, what are you going to do about it, boys? <laughs> and, you know, because he wasn't, you're not supposed to carry anything on the Sabbath. But Jesus specifically told him to pick up his mat. So, like Jesus was telling him, I want you to screw with their heads. And and he did. So he picks up his mat and he walks out and the Pharisees stop and they're like, how dare you carry that on the Sabbath? And he's like, look, this guy that healed me back there told me to do this. So I don't know what your problem is. <laughs> but, and, you know, I just, I love that about Jesus. So whenever Jesus saw a religious spirit anywhere, he was, he would just take aim. 
I think that's so cool. And so I love to just, I, I, if I see it, I love to just mess, just poke. The way that Jesus always did it was he would reveal how silly that religious spirit is. He would, he would uncover the silliness of it. You know, like when he healed the man with the, with the shriveled hand, and they're like, how dare you heal on the Sabbath? He, he was like, excuse me. So if, if it was the Sabbath day and your cow fell in the well, you wouldn't get it out. And don't you think this guy is a little more important than a cow? You know, and immediately they looked like fools. And what he was just revealing the stupidity of the of the religious spirit. I can't even imagine. Exactly, and you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. I'm sure they had, you know. And a donkey to pull the pulley. And you're not supposed to make your donkey work either. You're not supposed to work. Your animals aren't supposed to work, and your servants in your house are not supposed to work on the Sabbath. That'd be a nice job, as a servant. It's my day off. I'm not cleaning. Well, true. That's but that was real. Yeah. And and in fact, even like foreigners who were just going through town and staying at the hotel were not allowed to work on the Sabbath either. So that, I mean, that was this was they took it seriously. All right, Romans chapter five, verse two. Last week, when we finally got to Romans five, we talked about. Uh, what it meant to have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we're going to go to this next, this next idea, which is also massive, that I really want us to, to, to get a hold of. Because if we don't understand this, then the gospel was good news, but it's not good news anymore. Okay, it says this. Through whom, Jesus Christ he's referring to, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. Okay. Through whom? Jesus Christ. Through whom? Also, we've obtained an introduction by faith into this grace by which we now stand and we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. This is what he's saying. Grace is not just for the beginning of your walk. Grace is how you live from this point forward. And the church gets this wrong over and over and over again. We constantly get this wrong. We think Jesus came along, found us messed up, okay? Stood us on our feet, cleaned us up, forgave us of our sins, and then kind of slaps us on the butt and says, now keep your nose clean, wrong it's not how it goes but that's how isn't that isn't that kind of how you you feel like like oh no 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 you, you know now that you've been forgiven now you are you you're just gonna have to stay you, anything you do from here on out is just you're gonna die are you with me anybody else feel that way at all like like you feel like 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 you've been told like like the like Okay, we're going to give you a second chance, but you better not mess up again. Like that kind of attitude in the church. And I, a lot of times we feel like that's God's attitude toward us. When that is not scripture at all, the Apostle Paul says, by faith we were given introduction into 
this grace by which we now stand. So from this point forward, everything that we do, we have left the, the realm of the law and we've entered the realm of grace. And everything we have and everything we do now comes by grace through faith. So we receive from God by faith gifts for every moment of our lives from this point forward. And I'm not just talking about like you mess up and now you're restored. I'm not talking about the times when you stumble and Christ picks you up, although I am talking about those. I am talking about the good things that you do are a gift that came from God to you, through you into the world by grace through faith. Everything you've ever done that glorified God was actually God working in and through you by grace through faith to do it. This is what it means to have been given the righteousness of Christ Jesus. Now we are living in this place where we are just this conduit from which God pours grace out into the universe through us, in us. We grow and become more like Jesus all the time. We become all of that. All of it is this beautiful gift that God keeps giving, keeps giving, keeps pouring, keeps moving, keeps, it keeps filling us up, making us different, giving us things to do. Does this make sense at all? Grace is not just the beginning of the Christian walk. Grace is every minute. It's every moment. It's grace flowing from God into us. So I want to, I want to redefine the word grace for everybody in this room this morning. Okay? Grace is not a free pass so that we aren't punished when we're bad. That's not grace. There's a whole movement out there of greasy gracers that are just like, it's okay, man. God's going to forgive me for whatever, man. It's all right. You know, just don't worry about it. That is such, that's just disgusting. That is such a one dimensional view of this incredible gift that God wants to give us. It goes way beyond God seeing past your sin and forgiving you. It is that, but it's so much more than that. Anytime you see the words by grace in scripture, you need to hear these words for free or as a gift. Okay. You need to hear that because that's what it means that God's gifting it to you. He is, he is, he is handing it to you on a silver platter. You did not earn it. That's what it means to receive something by grace. God's giving it to you, even though you do not, never have, never will deserve it. It is a grace that is being given to you. A gift. It's free. You didn't earn it. He's giving it to you because he likes you, and that's it. That's what grace is. So every time you see the word grace, you need to hear that implication in Scripture. Because that's what it means. That it's coming to you for free. It's coming to you because of the will of Jesus. Not because you did anything to receive it. Not because you prayed the right prayer or you did your you did your devotions this week, so here you go. It's not like that. It's never like that. Nothing is earned. We don't earn things from God. Ever. Big three underlines, capital letters, five exclamation points. Ever. We do not earn things from God, period. This idea, the wrong idea, the idea that we can earn things from God is the core 
of the religious spirit. That's where it begins. Okay? If you can uproot that idea, the religious spirit will have no power on you whatsoever. And trust me, you don't want it to have power. The religious spirit steals grace, doesn't give it. The enemy of grace isn't sin. The enemy of grace is self-reliance. That's why Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall receive the kingdom of God. He, what he is saying is, blessed are those who understand the truth that they cannot afford any of the treasures of heaven. And so I'm going to give them to them. That's why they get them, because they get it. They're not coming to me on their own terms. They're coming to me on my terms. They're coming to me saying, help me. I cannot help myself. Is everybody with me? Grace is any and every gift that comes from God. <coughs> not only can we not be saved by our works, but we can't receive any of God's gift through works. God is not impressed with our attempts at doing righteousness on our own. He's not. He calls our righteousness filthy rags. In the original language, it's actually menstrual rags. Exactly. That's what he calls them. He says, your righteousness is foul. It is disgusting. It's toilet paper, used toilet paper. That's your righteousness. You're like, here, God. He's like, gross. Flush it. Flush it. Okay, that's, that's, <laughs> don't you like me now? He's like, that stinks. Get it out of here. <laughs> when we attempt to earn God's favor, it is disgusting to him because we don't get anywhere close. We never have and we never will. We aren't, we aren't like him. And in our own strength, we're never going to get there, period. It's just not going to happen. His gifts transform our inward parts. They change our appetites and our desires. Grace comes into our lives and changes us from the inside out. See, that's the difference between grace and law. Law attempts to change us by changing our behavior first and then changing our heart second. And, I, and it never goes deeper than behavioral change, ever, ever, ever. It never does. And the truth is, most of the time, when we use the law to change our behavior, we're actually making our hearts worse. I think I can change that statement and say, every time we attempt to use the law to change our behavior, we are making our hearts worse. Okay, one of the, uh, I always love to use Tim Keller's lie paradox to talk about this, Okay. Imagine you are a person who, you realize that you're a person who doesn't tell the truth, which is everyone in this room. Big, small, medium-sized lies, we all lie, okay? It's just true. Every single one of us lies. The thing that's different is the, is, is the motivation behind the lie. Some of us lie 
because we don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. And some of us lie because we want to avoid, uh, you know, the ramifications of, the, of whatever it is we're lying about. We, we're trying to avoid responsibility. Either one of those, it's still a lie, and so it's still a sin. I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, and I want to avoid responsibility. Either one of those, lying is still a sin, period. It's still bearing false witness. It's still what we're doing. Okay, But we notice the lie, and we don't often notice what's underneath the lie. Are you with me right now? Okay. So imagine I'm a pastor. Don't imagine that. I am a pastor. <laughs> imagine that I, 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 you know, okay, so here's the situation. I, someone has asked me to do something for them. I've completely forgotten about it, which is not, that happens quite often. I'll just be honest with you, everybody, that happens quite often, okay? Unless I write it down or put it in my phone, I am not going to remember, period. My wife said the other day, I am done saying things to you verbally. I'm just going to write everything down from now on. I said, thank you. Thank you. Like if she sends me to the grocery store, I'm like, she'll start telling me what she wants me to get. I'll be like, eh, text me. Because if she doesn't text me, I'm not going to get everything. I'm going to forget three of the five things that she told me to get. I'm going to be standing in the, in the store going, oh, what else was it? Or I'm not. I'm just going to go all the way through, think I got everything, and I'm going to get home. She's going to be like, where's the butter? You didn't get the butter. Dang it. So anyway, so someone tells me something. Someone tells me something, and I didn't write it down because I was in a hurry or whatever. And then a couple weeks later, they're like, hey, have you gotten that done for me? And I'm like, Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I'm actually going to do that today. And I just hadn't got a chance to get to it. Lie. That was a lie. Lies. Okay. Now. Deceptions. Exactly. Every day. More why, did, <laughs> why did I lie? Why did I lie? For real. I lied because I didn't. It was really because of my pride. That's really why I lied. I didn't want this person I could say that it was I was trying to be nice and I didn't want them to think I'd forgotten about them. There might be some of that in there that doesn't make lying okay, by the way. But there could be some, some of that in there, but mostly it's I didn't want to be embarrassed. That's most of it. Most of it is I'm a prideful being, just like everyone else, and I didn't want to be embarrassed. And so I lied. Yep, yep, I remember. I got to do that. I'm going to do it today. Okay, right? Okay, so it was a lie. It was a total lie. And I lied because of my pride. Now, imagine that I think about my lie later and I feel bad about it. And so I'm like, I really have to stop lying. Right? I re I've got to stop lying. And so I say to myself, you know, Josh, you are a pastor. And if every anyone ever caught you in a lie, it would be way worse than if they caught you in what you were lying about. Now, let me ask you a question. Will my lying probably change? With that line of reasoning, will I probably stop lying? What do you think? It's okay if you say no. The truth is, I might. I might. I might about be about to lie and then realize I don't want to get caught in a lie because I would be really embarrassed if I got caught in a lie, more embarrassed than if I actually, you know, whatever. And so I would just tell them the truth. I'm sorry. This. Okay. Guess what? I fixed my lying problem. Isn't that exciting? But what have I done for my pride? 
which was the source of my lie in the first place. I used my pride to stop me from lying. So what have I done to my pride? Because now, not only am I still a proud person, but now I'm proud of the fact that my pride kept me from lying. So what have I done? I've just given my pride a steroid injection. I'm beefing my pride up. So I have fixed my lying problem, but is my heart any better? Wrong. No. No. My pride's worse. Okay? Do you see how using the law, the fear of punishment, all it does is pump up the actual root of your sin actually becomes stronger because you use the law to fight against sin. Right? Does that make sense? Now what happens if I use the gospel? What happens if I realize the only way that I'm going to stop lying is if I receive grace from Jesus to choose to tell the truth more often? Because that's who he is and that's who he's made me to be. And so I am not going to lie anymore. Can my pride feed off of receiving something from Jesus? So the next time an opportunity to lie comes up and I don't lie, am I going to say, look at me, I'm such an awesome guy, or am I going to realize the truth that I, was, that I didn't lie in that place only because the grace of God was stepping into my life? You following? All of a sudden, grace has both disarmed my lying and my pride in one swoop. And I really am more like Jesus after that, but not because of myself, but because of the power of the Holy Spirit at work on the inside of me. You follow? This is how the gospel works. And this is how we get free from sin for real. Do you have a question? No. You know, never mind. Beards are just scratchy. It's just a scratchy. It just, just happens. And I happen to be fuzzier than normal right now because I just haven't felt like trimming lately. Is your shampoo on it? It doesn't. I used to condition. I do that. It doesn't help. And I even use head and shoulders. I used to Head and shoulders and chin is what it should be called. But it's I ran out, Well, then there's like beard balm. Have you used that? I have never used that. So. So here's the deal. Grace released on the inside of us changes us in here, and then our behavior changes. Our motivation changes, our desires change, our, our longings change because of the influence of the Holy Spirit, and therefore our behavior changes. And sin is eradicated from our whole being, not just from our outward sphere. Are you with me? That's how grace works. So when I say grace is, that every moment it is of, of our lives is is full of grace. I am not saying, hey, go do whatever the heck you want. No, what I'm saying is be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which we'll get to maybe when we get to Romans 12. I don't know if we'll even get to Romans 12, but that's the apostle Paul is saying. Be changed on the inside and your outside will change. 
I used to tell my youth leaders over and over again, I am not interested in, in only behavior modification. Because Jesus isn't just interested in behavior modification. Because when you have youth leaders, you have two sets. Well, it's more, it's really more than two, but they generally fall into two categories. There's the law and order people that feel like they're there to just keep teenagers from doing stupid things because they're annoyed by teenagers doing stupid things. Mm -hmm. Okay. Or you have the people that are genuinely interested in teenagers becoming young men and women of God. Now, a lot of times law and order people are genuinely interested in people, but they think the route to teenagers becoming lovers of Jesus is we have to crack down on their stupid behavior. That's not true. Okay? The way to teach young people to love Jesus is to love young people and live a real life of following Jesus in front of them. That's how you teach young people to love Jesus. Now, yes, do you need to talk to them about, you know what, it's probably not a good idea. You know, you need to talk to them about wisdom and steer them away from things that are going to destroy their lives, obviously. But not from a place of, you little brat, stop doing that. But from a place of, that's not who you are. That's not who you are. When we're speaking to a young person and giving them the identity of a Christ follower, it will do a thousand times more to change their behavior tomorrow than smacking them on the wrist will today. I'm telling you the truth. Let's keep going. The only way to defeat the power of sin is grace, period. You cannot defeat sin through the law. How many times have I sat across the table from a young man or a young woman who is caught in a revolving door of sin that they cannot get out of? They keep trying to get away from sin and then falling and trying to get away from sin and falling and trying to get away from sin and falling. And they've tried every strategy they can think of to keep themselves from doing that same sin over and over and over again. And none of it has worked. Do you want to know why it has worked? Because what's wrong on the inside is still wrong. And you can put as many walls up around your behavior as you want. You can put as many filters on your internet as you want. You can do as, but the minute that those walls, the minute there's a crack in the wall and you can sneak through for even a moment, you're going to go and you're going to do what you have been doing all this time. And all of this quote unquote victory that you've had up until now is going to come crumbling down and you're going to be left completely crushed by the fact that this sin still controls me. And your problem isn't that you just haven't figured out the right strategy of law to get you out of sin. Your problem is you aren't receiving grace. The minute you begin to honestly believe in the inside of you that sin has no power over you, 
The minute, the minute you begin to open your heart to the Holy Spirit and say, where's the root of this thing, Holy Spirit? Show me the root of this thing. And the Holy Spirit begins to work on your insecurity or your guilt or your shame or your fear or your, your, your honest belief that God doesn't love you. Or your deep anger towards the Lord or your deep unforgiveness towards your parents or your brother or your friend. Once grace has been released to deal with those things, which are the real root of your recurring sin, then you're going to see that victory over that is easy. In fact, you're not even going to think about it anymore. You're just going to wake up one day and realize it's been like a month since that I even thought about that. And you will rejoice in God's victory in your heart and not your victory over anything because you couldn't, you can't defeat it, but God has already defeated it in you. Stop fighting it and let God fight it. It's bigger than you. tough. I always think about Harry Potter. I am not of the belief that Harry Potter is an evil, devil-inspired work of fiction. I believe there's some absolutely beautiful things in those books, and I read them at least once a year, um, because they're wonderful. There's this scene in the very first one where Harry's looking in this mirror, and in this mirror, you see what it is you see the desire of your heart in the mirror. And there's this thing that Voldemort's trying to get. It's called the Sorcerer's Stone or the, the uh, Philosopher's Stone in the British version. And, 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 and the trick is you have to want it but not, not want to use it. And that's the only way you're going to get it. And this is very much like that. It's like, I want to be free from sin, but no, what I really want is to be more like Jesus. Then all of a sudden you're going to find it in your pocket. Freedom is found in your pocket all of a sudden because what you were after was not freedom from sin, but, but life in God. All of a sudden, like magic, you're going to have what you never could have gotten on your own. It doesn't matter how long you stare into the mirror wanting to use it. You're never going to get it. Because freedom from sin is freedom from the outward manifestations of sin is not our goal. Folks, our goal is to be like Jesus. The gospel is not about the don'ts. It's not about the shouldn'ts. It's not about the, that's, it's never been about that. It's about becoming more like Jesus Christ. And when that's your focus, when love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control, when these things are your goal, sin just runs away because it can't compete. That's why the apostle Paul says, against such things, there is no law. Because guess what? The law can't get you there. 
You can jury rig your own heart to change your behavior. It's doable. But all you're doing is making your sin worse. But when you're pursuing Christ and saying, I want to be like him. I want to be self-sacrificing. I want to love others more than I love myself. I want to be full of joy and peace and patience. I want to have, I want to be a kind person. When you're pursuing the image of Jesus Christ being made manifest in you, sin will find no purchase in you whatsoever. Especially when you realize that the way that you get there is by Jesus breathing these things into your life through the power of the Holy Spirit as you believe that he's given them to you. That's why it's called fruit. Do you see trees going, <laughs> right? That's not what happens. Trees are not like, you know, just like groaning, just trying to create a couple apples. <laughs> no, this is what trees do. They dig deeper into the soil. They absorb uh, the minerals and the moisture from the soil. They receive the sunlight as it shines upon them. And fruit is the natural result of health. Does this make sense? And this is what Jesus said. Your father is glorified when you bear much fruit. Do not hear that verse and think that Jesus was saying, your father is glorified when you get a lot of people saved. I know you've been, it's been preached to you that way, but that is not what Jesus was saying. Did, did Jesus later on say, go into all the world and make gospel, make uh, disciples of every creature? Absolutely he did. Okay. Did, did he say that? Yes. He said, preach the gospel to every creature and make disciples. Well, it doesn't matter. Did Jesus tell us to go out and win the lost? Absolutely. That's the great commission. But the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. What do you think comes first in the heart of God? That one. The great commandment is more important than the great commission. In the Assemblies of God, we don't do a good job of teaching that. We really don't. But you can't make a disciple until you are a disciple. And you become a disciple by loving the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. That's how you become a disciple. You set yourself to follow after, to run after Jesus by grace through faith. That's it. You with me? Now check this out. Through whom we have obtained introduction by faith into this grace. Okay. This, <coughs> remember, justification made us just as if we never sinned. Okay. And that came to us by grace through faith. It absolutely did. Okay. But it goes, but if you think that's where grace ends, you're foolish. Grace goes way beyond that. God's grace continues forward, and it's our victory. We receive God's nature as a gift of grace through faith. We become like Christ by grace through faith. By grace through faith. So when I say pursue the nature of God, that's what I mean. Pursue God's nature 
by believing more about him so that you receive more of him inside of you. I can't think of the verse, but it's, I want to say it's in John, first, second, or third John, I don't remember. My brain's not working very well right now. But it says this, we will be like him. Why? Because we will see him as he is. We will be like him because we'll see him. The more that we receive revelation of the beauty of Jesus, the more beautiful we become. There is a reason why David said, this one thing do I desire, this one thing will I seek, that I may gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire at his temple. There is a reason why Jesus said to Mary of Bethany that she could stay at his feet and Martha was not going to get her up because she's chosen the better part and it will not be taken from her. There was a reason why. Because this is how we become like Christ, is we believe that he is who he says he is. We learn the depths of who he is, and it, all of a sudden it begins to shape us and form us into looking like him. By grace, we have access into revelation, which will form us. That's why I pray that before every time that we, that we do this, I pray that God will give us spirit of wisdom and revelation, because I know the truth that as you begin to understand who he is, you will be changed. You will be changed. That's why I get kind of bored with the, the second half of Paul's letters, because the second half of Paul's letters are all application. It's all because this is true about God. This is how you should live. And that's fine. That Those are very important. And I will teach them to you if we get there. But I find the first half of Paul's letters more important because the first half of Paul's letters is the Apostle Paul just like releasing revelation in these crazy ways under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And we're just sit, sit back going, ah, ah because the Holy Ghost is just showing us the glory of God and we're just, our circuits get blown. That is how we get changed. I don't know anything about wiring or electricity, but I do, but I know that there are some wires that are not meant to carry certain levels of power. And that's what happens when we get like, when, when heaven opens just a little bit and this breath of revelation comes on the, on the breath of God, the Holy Spirit, and it strikes our heart and we're like, <laughs> because there's too much. Have you ever been there? Yeah. Have you ever been in a place where all of a sudden God's just showing himself to you and you're like, ah, ah, like there's no words. Like it just goes beyond human. You're, just, you're going, it's too much. God, I can't handle it. You feel like your head might explode. Well, that's my favorite place to be. Exactly. Ah, ah! She explodes. 
Yes. I wish I hadn't, but I have. Yeah. <laughs> I like that one. I like them all. Love Jones. I don't consider that an Indiana Jones movie. It's just my know. opinion. When that, lady, when that dream gets eaten by all this fire That's disgusting. That was insane. But, so, the other thing grace does is it gives us access into the favor of God. We've got to grab this. We've done more than escaped... We've done more than escape punishment. Grace doesn't just give us a get-out-of-hell-free pass. It does do that, but it does more than that. It places us in the favor of God. It puts us in the favor of God. All of a sudden, God goes, remember I talked about the wrath and the judgment of God just sitting on us, and we're just like, ah! You know, it's like God's going to destroy us. All of his omnipotent power hates our sin. And then he's like, we believe in what Jesus did on the cross. We're unified mystically with Jesus. And all of a sudden, all of God's anger gets poured out on Jesus and not on us. And it's like, all of a sudden, God's like, hey, come on in. Where five seconds ago, he was like, okay, I'm going to send you to hell forever. And then all of a sudden, the cross steps into the middle and God's like, yes, come on in. Not only have we, see, there's a difference between, okay, you, imagine you owe someone a billion dollars. Oh my goodness. Okay. Okay. Here's the truth, my friends. Your sin was far more egregious than a debt of a billion dollars. A debt of a billion dollars is nothing in comparison to the one time that you had a sinful thought. Nothing. Got to understand how dis- how gross, how disgusting, how horrible sin is. How destructive it is. Much more than the national debt. Your personal debt with God was much more than the national debt. Thankfully, God paid it. Okay, so now, not only did... Okay, so it would be good enough... It would be totally cool. You, owe, you somebody, you owe a billion dollars, and all of a sudden you get a letter from the person you owe a billion dollars to, and they're like, "You don't owe me anything." Would you not jump up and down? Would you not be like, "Ha ha!" Okay, but that's not what happened with the cross. What happened with the cross was you got a letter from the person you owed a billion dollars to that says, "You owe me nothing, and you have a billion dollars in your account." Squad. <laughs> It's yours. That's grace. See, there's a difference between mercy and grace. Do you know? And that's what we're talking about here is the difference between mercy and grace. Mercy is you do not get what you deserve. Grace is you get something you don't deserve. That's why I like mercy, but I like grace a lot more. Mercy is I'm not going to punish you. That's mercy. I'm not going to punish you. Grace is, I'm going to reward you. Though you did nothing. Grace is better. Do you not agree? I'm in. I'd rather have grace than mercy. Thank you very much. (laughs) Yes. We've been given, we've been set in the favor of God. We stand as the favorite of God. Okay, everybody stand on your feet. Come on, on your feet. Let's go. Up, up, up. Okay. 
Both hands straight up in the air. Come on. We're going to make a declaration over our souls, okay? We're going to do this. This is important. Okay? Okay. We're going to start. You know, just, just go ahead and stretch. You know, do some yoga. You know, whatever. Okay. You know, it'll help, it'll help you wake up. You know, I just got to stretch some. Okay, but here. Now, both hands straight up. I want you to say it, and I want you to prophesy this over your own soul. Are you ready? No. I am God's favorite. I am God's favorite. No, really say it. Okay. Say it like it's true. I am God's favorite. I am God's favorite. Uh, you're still not there. I want you to feel this thing. Are you ready? I am God's favorite. I am God's favorite. Ooh, that, I felt that. That was good. Somebody got some favorites. Okay, you can sit up. Something happened in some heart. I don't know. That was good. I felt something go. I felt, I felt some level of shame just go, psh, like, just fly off. Yeah. I watched, like, a Judah Smith sermon. Oh! going on, like, the same thing where he talks about, like, how John wrote. John, the disciple of Jesus. Yes, exactly. Told everyone to say, yes. I'm the beloved. I'm Josh the beloved. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I thought it was in John. All right. Now hold on. Here we go. I'm glad you're feeling a little more awake. Okay. You are God's favorite. Okay. Check this out. This is what grace did. Grace made you the favorite of God, gave you access into the favor of God, which means now, God, not only is God not angry at you, but he really likes you. How many of you, I mean, I mean there are people that you're like, well, I love them, but I don't like them very much. Right? Okay. It's true. And there's people that you're like, yeah, I love them, but they're not my favorite person. You know, I don't really want to spend time with them, okay? I think most of us feel like God says that about us. Yeah. I think most of us feel like God's kind of annoyed with us. Like, oh. like every time we come to talk to him, he's like, really? It's like when you, you know, when my kids ask me to get them a bowl of potato chips. I'm like, but I'm sitting on the couch. <laughs> But it's all the way over there. Wow. Ian doesn't ask. Ian just says, can I have a bowl of potato chips? And then he gets them himself. So so I'm good. Because he's a little monkey. He climbs up on top of the thing. He grabs a bowl out and he gets them. But Lily refuses. Even though she's totally capable of doing all of that, Lily wants you to get them for her. To the point where she will often bring me the bowl and the bag of potato chips and ask me to take the potato chips out of the bag and put them in the bowl. <laughs> and it isn't that the bag isn't open it's open <laughs> this is the battle this is the battle we're fighting right now and if I say no she gets unbelievably surly it's just like mm, why don't you like me <laughs> okay God does not roll his eyes when we ask him to do things he enjoys doing things for us the Bible says he delights in showing mercy Man, the day that we learn to love that phrase, the day that we feel that phrase, that it is his delight to forgive us, what? You mean he's not annoyed rolling his eyes saying, really, again, every time? 
No, he's not. Because this is what the Bible says, that he takes our sin and drowns them in the sea of forgetfulness. The Bible says that he separates us from our sin as far as the east is from the west, which is an infinite distance. God is not saying, really, for the millionth time, I have to forgive for that again. God is going, of course. I'd love to. When are we going to get this through our heads? And you have to hold both of these things in your head at once. The absolute disgustingness of your sin and God's absolute delight at forgiving us. You have to hold them both in your head at the same time. And it will cause your nose to bleed. Just know it. Because that's the gospel. The gospel says both at the same time. The gospel says your sin is infinitely disgusting. It also says God's delight in forgiving your sin is infinite. I mean, it should mess with your head. Think about that incredible gulf and you're like, what in the world could cross that gulf and connect God's delight in forgiving me with his disgust in my sin? And the answer is the cross is why the cross is so beautiful. It's the only thing that could have ever bridged the distance between God's disgust with our sin and God's delight in forgiving sinners. It's the only thing. But we live there. We live in this place where we hate our sin, but we have a God that delights to forgive sin. That's where we live. And that's the truth. And when we live there, in that tension... That's when we're joyful. That's when we're happy. That's when we're excited. The Apostle John said, Beloved, I write to you so that you will not sin. But if you sin, know that you have an advocate. It's, it's incredible. He really likes us. He is desirous to do us good. He is eager and excited about giving us good gifts. He is more interested in your future than you are. Oh, somebody needs to hear that today. He is more interested in your destiny than you have ever been and than you ever will be. He is more excited about your future than you have ever been and you ever will be. He is more invested in your success in him than you are. He may have a completely different definition of what success in him looks like than you do. His is better choose it. By faith, this is how we learn to access his grace. We have to believe he exists and reward those who earnestly seek him. You have to believe and do not doubt that God likes you and is actively seeking your joy. (laughs) This is so great. God is at work every minute of every day, and he has been at work every minute of every day since time began to bring you into the fullest joy you could possibly experience as a human being. That's the truth. Oh, God is employing all 
of his omnipotent strength in the past, present, and future to lead you into enjoying him to the fullest and more and more forever. His glory, your joy. Because as John Piper says, God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. How do people reject the gospel? I don't even know. It says, and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. <laughs> you are being glorified. Do you know this? And just a, just a little bit, we're going to read a verse that says, those whom he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. He is glorifying you, transforming you into his image as carriers, reflectors of the glory of God. The Lord has called us to reflect his beauty forever as the redeemed ones, the bride of Christ. This is who you are. You are going to be in heaven and angels and living creatures and other Christians are going to look at you and say, the glory of God reflects so beautifully off of you. And it had nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with God. So glory to God. But that is beautiful. Someday we might spend a class and go through the, the, uh, the desires of the human heart. One of them is that every human heart desires to be attractive, beautiful. Every human heart wants to be attractive. Every human heart wants to be beautiful. You know, God put that in you. God put that desire in you. Unfortunately, it tends to manifest itself in the most shallow, ridiculous way, and that is externally. What we really desire, the depth of what we really desire, and the only way we'll be truly satisfied is when we are truly beautiful inside and out. And you will be forever because you are a living reflector of the glory of God. That's our joy. Verse 3, and not only this, but we exult in tribulation. What? We exult in the hope of the glory of God. That's what I just said, because you're going to re reflect the glory of God forever. But then verse 3, not only this, we exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We exult in our tribulations. Why? Because our trouble is not punishment for sin. Our trouble is the path we have to walk to become the fullest reflection of the glory of God that we will become. Trouble, difficulty, and pain are never about punishment because God's not mad at you anymore. They're about promotion. Difficulty, pain, and trouble 
are God loving you and showing you and giving you good gifts that you will be grateful for forever? That's the truth. We are a people of good news. Even the worst news we could possibly get is good news. Why? Because God's at work in the midst of it. We rejoice in tribulations because we know the truth. He's in control. And he's doing this because he loves me. He's allowing this because he's going to use it to make me like him. I have a question. Does God cause sin, pain, and destructive things to happen in the life of a human being? Yes or no? I think that he like allows it because he loves him more than Yes. <clears throat> now, I, I agree 100% with both of those. No. God does not cause pain, sin, he does not he allows it. But let me ask you, when we get down to the nittiest of grittiest, is there a difference between allowing and causing? Is there a difference? Whatever God does is love. Yeah. So why we can't really judge it? Why yeah. should we judge it? If like God sending people to hell is love, then you know <laughs> so we can't really say anything. Does God send people? I mean, He doesn't want people. Does He send them to? The Bible is completely honest when it says that it, God would desire none should perish, but all should come to him. So does God send people to hell? No. Does he let them go there of their own free will? Yes. I know. But I think we need to, I think we need to listen to our language and change it. Because the world hears, the world believes that we think that God sends people to hell. That God's like, go to hell. They think that we believe that. And a lot, there's a lot of people that have allowed the enemy, the enemy assert a deep accusation in their heart because God sends people to eternal torment. But that's not what happened. That's never been what, what happened. God has never done that. God has done everything he could possibly do to get people to not go to hell and yet they go of their own free will. But still, once again, we get down to the nittiest of grittiest. Is allowing this, is there really a difference between allowing and causing?
The reason I'm doing this, the reason I am asking you this question is because you're going to run into this question at some point in your life and you're going to have to wrestle with it. And I would rather you wrestled with it in this room with me than wrestle with it out there when you've got somebody accusing God in your ear the whole time. Does that make sense? Yeah. James 1.13. <coughs> Read it. No one when tempted should say, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But one is tempted by one's own desire, being lured and enticed by it. Then when that desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and that sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Right. I didn't say God tempted anybody. Did I say that? Temptation is sin. No, no temptation isn't sin. We can be tempted by evil. Of course. <laughs> I'm just saying... That verse says God didn't tempt anyone. Fine, he didn't tempt them. But that doesn't mean that when we get down to the, the, the microscopic level, the quantum level, is there a difference between causing and allowing? There's still a yes in God's heart at some point along the chain. And you have to see that. And I want you to wrestle with it because this is the heart of the whole Calvinist predestination thing. And we are going to get smacked in the face with it here in these next few chapters because it's all over the place. And we have to wrestle with it. And I want you to wrestle with it. I'm drawing you to the place. I want you to be offended I want you to wrestle because this is the only way that the whole idea of the glory of, God, of man is greater than the glory of God is going to get eradicated from your heart is when we get down to the final thing where we say a human soul, millions upon millions of human souls being tormented forever or the glory of God, which will you choose? You have to make a decision. And it is an offensive choice to every human heart. And we have to get to the place where we joyously say, I choose the glory of God. We have to get there. Or else we have to throw hell away and say it doesn't really exist or nobody really goes there. Or they go there, but then they come out later. We have to use one of the many theological paths to get out of that decision, which is what everybody tries to do. But you can't do it. You can't do it. Now, I honestly live at the place where I do not believe that God's, that, that I believe it is this, I, I, I am not on the Calvinist side and I am not on the Armenian side. I am somewhere in the middle. That there is this beautiful interworking between the choice of God and the choice of men and, and that there is this place here where God can be in full control of everything and allow free will simultaneously and, it, and nothing gets screwed up. I believe that God is able and God is willing. But I'm there because I fought this battle in my own soul for a long time and I don't want to just hand you that victory. I want you to fight. The reason I want you to fight is because I want you to end up where you're going to end up because the Holy Spirit walked you through 
the valley of the shadow of death and you trusted him even when there were ideas about him that were very disconcerting, bouncing around in your brain and you're going, God, I don't know what's true, but I trust you. I want that for you. I want you face to face with your own doubt. I want you in the teeth of what's really there because all you're doing right now by covering it over with this argument or that argument is you're just delaying the process. It's going to, going to come to this place. You have to. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you have to know that he is the judge. And that he weeps in his role as judge, but he is still judge. We'll talk about that a lot more as we move forward. It's time to be done. I want to say, I want to end with this one final thing. The reason I went here is because this is the same thing. This, this whole argument, this whole understanding is a thread that goes all the way from the, the smallest end of the pool is, I had a bad day, is it God's fault? That's the most shallow end of the pool. But every single one of us has been there. Every single one of us has thought about it. Every single one of us has been at the place where we're a little ticked at God because some stupid little circumstance in our life didn't go the way that we wanted it to. You need to be more mature than that. But there's a thread from there that goes all the way through into this really deep, really difficult, really hard place. And that is this question of hell. And of those who will not be saved because there will be those who will not be saved. And I don't want you to settle. That whole thread has the same answer. All of it. And it's not a quick answer. And it's not an answer I can give you in a phrase. It's an answer that has to grow in your awareness over time. And through trust and through spending time in God's word. And spending time weeping before the Lord saying, I don't understand. And yet I trust you, though you slay me, I will trust you. That you can live in that place that it doesn't matter what happens to you or how difficult life becomes or how horrible it is that you will still be able to say from the depths of who you are, it is well with my soul. The world needs Christians that can say that. It does not need Christians that can that, that give pat, silly, ridiculous, half-inch deep answers, needs Christians that have gone to the depths, that have confronted their own accusation against God and have walked out of it stronger than you were before. That's what the world needs. And that's the kind of Christian I want you to be. To have wrestled with God and lost. Father, I ask, Lord, <laughs> I've set this unsettling thing that's just loose in the room. And I love it. I love it because it's yours. Lord, I'm not going to pretend that I'm done with this wrestle in my own heart because I'm not. 
but I'm a few years further along the path than maybe some of the, those that are in here. And I know the treasures that are that you find along the side of this road, the deep treasures that I want everyone in this room to discover. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would guide us. Holy Spirit, I pray that the voice of the enemy would be shut down. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would take us to the depths of you. You search the deep things of the Father's heart, Holy Spirit. Take us on the tour. Jesus' name. Amen. Do you even have pastor's prayer today since none of the pastors are here? Yeah. Oh, are you? Yeah. Sweet. None of the pastors are here. So it's going to be... Yeah, I think so. I think so. It's going to be round two of prayer. It's going to be right past